begin our, begin our time together in prayer with you, Lord, here truly present as we make an act of faith in your real presence. As we make frequent acts of faith, as we are doing now, our soul will be nourished and our faith will increase. Every act of faith that we make is like a healthy nourishment for our soul. And the reason we need that nourishment is because, because we are corresponding to a grace that we have received. Every time we see you, Lord, there in the tabernacle or as you are now exposed, we correspond with an act of faith. We correspond to your grace. And that's why we want to reflect a little bit about the nature of our correspondence, the nature of our yes to God, and how often we really do correspond, and indeed how, how generous we really are. Some people, when they think about formation, they tend to think about formation as a form of knowledge. So a, pe a person who has received a good doctrinal formation or they think them or, or good professional formation is somebody who, who knows the insides and outs, the knowledge. A priest would normally be a person who's well-formed because he knows the doctrine of the faith, he knows the morals, he knows something of canon law. That is, we know stuff about being priests. We have the knowledge. But today, as we pray before you, Lord, we don't just want to think about formation in terms of knowledge, but to consider that formation is something far more dynamic. It's something, you could say, even my miraculous that happens in a soul. Because when we correspond, grace wants to sink in deeply to reach the person, reach us in all our integrity. And for that to happen, we have to see formation not simply as knowledge, not simply as information, but as a way of being. And good professionals know the body of information and techniques required for their formation, for, rather for their profession, but they have acquired something else as well. They have developed habits, ways of being that enable them to acquire and, and to apply that, that knowledge to and those techniques successfully. They have a certain attention of or habits of attention towards others. They, they have an ability to concentrate in their work. They're punctual. They're able to cope with successes and failures. They persevere. They're patient. Patience, perseverance, that's not stuff you learn in medical school or, or you know, these are, these are ways of being that we have to consider now. And after all, we know that a good Christian doesn't simply mean knowing things at the level appropriate to their age or their place in the church. 
it's much more. The goal we have to have is much higher. It really means immersing ourselves in the mystery of Christ so as to grasp all the, the, the depth, the, the breadth, and letting his life enter into ours. And being able to say with St. Paul, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Isn't that amazing? It's no longer I who live. It means becoming other Christs, Christ himself. So that's why when we think about correspondence, we know that, that letting grace act is not simply something passive. It's not something passive. It doesn't mean simply not placing obstacles in the way, since the Holy Spirit doesn't transform us into Christ without our free, voluntary cooperation. So it can't be passive. We have to be actively engaged in this transformation. Yet, at the same time, that's not enough. To give ourselves to our Lord, to give our life, it's not simply to give him our decisions, our actions. We have to give him our heart. We have to give him our feelings. We have to give him our spontaneity. Grace has to sink deeply into us. It has to reach our heart. And all this, of course, requires a daily ascetical struggle. Our correspondence is that struggle. And of course, we know that the early church understood this. The early church continued what it had received from our Lord. Our Lord performed miracles. Our Lord gave teaching. And it was not enough for the early church to simply receive this and even, you could say, pass it on. It was actively engaged in the continuation of God's plan of salvation. The traditional expression that we see often used in Sacrosanctum Concilium and in the Second Vatican Council is that the church was really the Paschal mystery. The Paschal mystery. It's a beautiful expression. It really means God's plan of salvation for the whole world, for you and for me. It's the Paschal mystery. The Paschal mystery is God's loving plan of salvation. And it should make us happy that we are part of that plan of salvation. But it means we have to allow the unfolding of that plan to be realized in us. Because we know that the cross is not simply an event that happened in the past, but that it continues to be alive, it continues to be dynamic in the way we respond to it, in the way we correspond. Today we celebrate Our Lady of Sorrows, and we know how she was truly a co-redeemer because she stood at the foot of the cross with sorrow. The Virgin of Sorrows, not the Virgin of Sadness. When we say Virgin of Sorrows, she felt the weight of sin. She felt the weight of the sorrow of, our, of her son. She co-redeemed. It's beautiful to see that in, in some Latino countries, many women have that name, Dolores. You know, to, to call somebody, to call your child Dolores, means you're calling your child sorrows, Our Lady of Sorrows, meaning you somehow understand that that sorrow is a dynamic cooperation, a dynamic correspondence 
ultimately to the pain, to the agony that our Lord was suffering by calling that child Our Lady of Sorrows. God granted me the grace to be ordained on this day. And perhaps for us to correspond, we can concretize it. I would suggest that one beautiful expression of correspondence for us, like Our Lady, would be simply patience, patience. I would say it's one of the characteristics that has to be deeply embedded in our life, in the way we speak, in the way we interact with others, is our patience. Patience with COVID, patience with the weather, patience with traffic, patience with annoying people, patience with other priests. Patience with the bishop. And uh, how patient she must have been, the Blessed Virgin. She leaned into it. She deeply understood her role as co-redeemer. And we will be patient if we deeply understand the need for our correspondence and to be co-redeemers. And she deeply collaborated there in the cross. She's always seen there next to the cross. Jesus said to her, here is your son. He said to her, to John, here is your mother. We need her. When he said, here is your mother, in some way he was saying, you're going you're gonna to need this patient mother standing, not like the scene from Zeffirelli where the Blessed Virgin is shown screaming and and." and crying in a way that is almost exaggerated. I mean, it seemed like she was just completely out of it. But she was strong, solid, patient, serene. How does that correspondence to grace show in itself, itself in you? We experience difficulties. We all experience setbacks. But I ask you, Lord, look, make me a patient priest. Why? Because these are opportunities that you're giving me to grow in correspondence. Patience and forgiveness. I'm sure we've all heard many confessions, and one of the most common things we hear in a confession has something to do with patience. I lost patience with my husband. I lost patience with uh, my son, who was always late for Mass, and... uh, They give you thousands of examples that have to do with patience. And we, we ourselves, we get impatient when the, the, you know, at at a red light, we get impatient because the next guy's not moving or or something doesn't work or a program doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Or we hear, we hear about this in confession. My brother borrowed my clothes without asking, you know, or my wife was late or... Or this person gets on my nerves. And yet, we know how thankful we are when others listen patiently to us. You know, one common example is deafness. How often uh, spouses, I mean, you know, one spouse starts to go deaf. It's normal. I don't know if it's normal, but it, it happens. You get older, you go deaf. And what a beautiful occasion it is for the other spouse to be patient when they keep saying, eh? Eh? What was that? 
I said, and they repeat exactly the same thing. Uh. And it can be very irritating to one of the spouses. But what an act of charity it would be to calmly repeat. It's an act of charity expressed in, 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 in patience. That's an act of correspondence to grace. Instead of seeing that annoying parishioner, that annoying person as just an obstacle, we can see it as an invitation to be patient, therefore to correspond to God's grace. It really has a lot to do with knowing how to love, knowing how to forgive. After all, Peter said, Lord, how often am I to forgive? Maybe he's really saying, how often do I have to be patient with this person or that person? Our Lord, we know, said 70 times 7. And he gave an example as he forgave all those who were crucifying him. These hateful and, and, and harsh people who were crucifying him. He forgave them for they know not what they're doing. Lord, thank you for continuing to be patient with me because as you do that, I know you will, give, you will grant me many graces and that will be an occasion for me to correspond. I heard this story that I found very touching about a young adolescent from Aleppo and his name was Remy. And Remy was a little, I think he was maybe 14 years old and uh, he wasn't particularly practicing. In fact, he had very little interest in the faith at all. And um, he was quite superficial, playing video games and that kind of thing, but he, and he was certainly not interested in going to Mass. But apparently in Aleppo, there's a tradition where people go, during the month of May, they all go to Mass frequently every day. I mean, they go for the whole month of May, they go to Mass. And so his friends came and said, hey, uh, Remy, we're going to, we're going to Mass during the month of May, why don't you come with us to Mass? And he said, forget it, man, I'm not going to Mass, I don't want it, it's boring, I'm not interested in going to Mass, forget it, no, I'm not going. So you guys go, but I'm not going. So they kind of, you know, came back at him and they said, well, look, you know, if you go to Mass, imagine there's going to be some, some very pretty girls there, eh? Maybe you can see the pretty girls. Well, with that argument, uh, <laughs> he was pretty hard, he found that hard to resist, so he he said, okay, I'll come here just to see the pretty girls. And sure enough, he, he sat at the back of the church. And as the, the place started getting more and more crowded, and there were lots of, little, lots of pretty girls that he could see. And he did that for the entire month. And he enjoyed just eyeing the little pretty girls that came in. And, um, but then came June 1st. He didn't realize that it was June 1st. And he kept, well, he went to Mass anyway. And as he arrived he saw that there were no pretty girls. It was only a few, a handful of old ladies, gray hair, that's it. And he, he asked, like, where are all the girls? Like, what happened? Where is everybody? It was full here yesterday. And somebody told him, no, it's June 1st now, you see. It's only during the month of May. And suddenly, it was like a unique grace that he received of feeling deeply the abandonment of our Lord. That how, how our Lord had been profoundly abandoned by all these people. And this was a very special grace that he had received. And it was a really tremendous grace. It was very profound. It, it, it struck him deeply. And right there and then he decided 
never to abandon our Lord Himself, to keep coming to Mass, to be with our Lord, to accompany Him. And, you know, because he, he sort of felt a deep sadness for the loneliness of our Lord who had been left alone. He felt the, the shame of the abandonment of his own soul. And he promised right there and then. He was only 14 years old that he would always come to Mass every day. He would do whatever he could to go to Mass. And indeed, that's what he did. After that, he kept going. And um, he became a kind of known person in Aleppo. And uh, for being very pious. Uh, I mean, I don't know much more about this guy, but uh, Remy. Yeah. But he, be you know, he, he became a very generous soul. Because he corresponded to that, that unique grace that, that God sort of threw into his soul. And maybe it wasn't all that unique. Maybe many other people have received that but have tightened, tightened themselves up and resisted. But it, it shows the patience of our Lord. The patience of our Lord. How different is your reaction, Lord, than mine might have been you are so patient with me. You know, you might have said, uh, what a lack of respect for these people and, or, or this, this kid who goes to Mass just to see the girls. What a lack of respect for the Eucharist. But you won his heart anyway. And he corresponded by praying. He started doing apostolate. He actually started bringing his friends to Mass, bringing souls to Mass. And he became a great apostle, this kid. This 14-year-old adolescent. You are patient, Lord, because you love us. Patient with others is really the result of true charity. And that charity is an expression of our correspondence to grace. And there are two signs of this. Understanding with others and knowing how to forgive. Understanding with others, knowing how to forgive. And we, we all love to feel understood. We like it when somebody understands us, has been listening to us. And we say, so-and-so, we clicked. We clicked. It's not that we clicked. It's that that person listened. That person was patient. And that has to be a characteristic of us, that we cannot just protect our, our, our time and And, uh, you know, Jesus tells us that we must give of ourselves, that we must love. And that love is, is shown in, our, in the gift of ourselves. And anything that touches love, the gift of ourselves, it must always be total, complete, absolute, whole, unconditional, comprehensive, unlimited, entire. We cannot give ourselves 60%, 70%, even 80%. The gift of ourselves, and I would say the correspondence to grace, cannot be partial. Perhaps in this recollection we can ask ourselves, okay, I haven't done huge bad things, but maybe my correspondence to the graces that you have given me, to the invitations to greater generosity in the parish, in that person, in that other person, in the way I prepare my work, maybe my correspondence has just been a little bit too partial. We cannot say, I'll give myself 60%, it's not bad, 60% is better than 50%. 
I cannot say I'll give myself and my vocation until, until it works out, you know. I cannot say I'll give myself to the jobs or, or to the, I don't know, the, the whatever I've been asked to do until I, as long as I perfectly well understand what I've been asked to do. As long as it all makes perfectly good and decent sense, then I will do it. Sometimes we're asked to do things we don't understand. It doesn't make sense to be moved here or go there or we don't feel ready. Correspondence. Correspondence. Our life is not about ourselves. Our life is responding to a call. If we somehow filtered the gift of ourselves and we say, I only go up to here, like, like limited gift of self, not, complete, not a complete holocaust, of ourselves, like our Blessed Mother stood at the foot of the cross and it was a complete holocaust, if in any way we were to notice a lack of gift of self, that would suggest a form of immaturity. Or somehow our love is still immaturity, immature, it's still partial, it's just somehow lacking in basic generosity. And we cannot bypass this. We have to say, Lord, it doesn't matter if I suffer along the line, if I don't get the parish I want, if I don't get the task I like, I will serve you no matter what, no matter where I've been told to go. So, what is the best expression of that generosity? What is the best expression of what we could call a priestly soul? A priestly soul is is a soul who's a mediator, who's ready to give himself. The best expression, I think it was Jacques Philippe who said that, never to refuse God anything. Never to refuse God anything. And I would invite you to pray. I'm going to pray about it too. Have I kind of refused him a little bit in this lack of generosity here, in maybe, you know, the danger of circling myself in a kind of wall of comfort or a circle of comfort. I'm ensured that I have my comfort. Because if I truly say that and live like that, never to refuse God anything, that is a, a deep source of peace. It's amazing the source of peace when you say, well, I, I give you whatever you want. Because it's an act of generosity. It's an act of correspondence. Never to refuse you, Lord, whatever happens in my life, whether I get sick, whether I get ill, whether I am rejected, whether I have back pain, whether I have migraines. To see this as an opportunity to grow. Or you could say, an opportunity to give more of myself. A perfect holocaust. Why am I afraid of that? Maybe we can make that declaration right now, in the presence of God. Lord, I never want to refuse you anything. And maybe we, we identify the little things that I've refused. You know, when they say, when you circle yourself, or when you're still within the circle of comfort, 
in use of time for me. My day off is like walled off like a, you know, like, like an untouchable thing that nobody can impinge upon. If I stay within the circle of comfort, I will never grow. I won't grow. I won't grow in interior life. I won't grow in maturity. I cannot say that I will be faithful as long as people around me are smart and kind and good formation. Uh, you know, as long as I get my eggs in the morning easy over and, uh, you know, that's my coffee. As long as I get my coffee, as long as I get to do my sports when I want to do my sports and the schedule of the parish doesn't interfere with that, as long as I get that, I, I'm good. Sometimes it's, it's these silly little things. You know, think of Pope Francis. Pope Francis was, before he was elected Pope, he was tired. They said he had very little energy. He was looking forward, to, you could say, to retirement. And then he goes to Rome and he, he's elected Pope. He, he was like, he was just like on the verge of retirement. He was 76, so. But suddenly, as soon as he's elected, this grace entered him and he took on this new energy that people had never seen him with before. I don't know if they never saw it, but he started to smile, he started to be dynamic, left people, you know, running behind him, you could say. And, uh, and in some, why, why? Because it was his generosity in corresponding to this new grace that had entered his life that he had never expected at the age of 76. Certainly no Pope retires. I mean, that's it. I mean, it's, uh, well, the Pope Benedict retired, but I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like he, we have to renounce. Let's ask for that grace. You know that St. Josemaria said that his successor, what later on would be his successor, Bishop Alvaro, blessed Alvaro, it said that Bishop Alvaro often had renounced to things in his life. And he was asked, why, why renounce to oneself? Well, to be able to say yes to God. And Bishop Albert had seen this very often in the life of St. Josemaria. It was a constant yes to God. And that is expressed in never saying no to God. Never saying no to what you're asked. And Bishop Alvaro had learned this from St. Josemaria. He saw, he was always saying yes. And uh, what is the result of that never saying no to God or always saying yes in that sense? Well, you get joyful families, you get conversions, you get other people giving themselves to God, wasting, so-called wasting their lives away. It's the fruit of correspondence. And the greatest correspondence to grace that we can ever have will be our final perseverance. Final perseverance. Well, we ask you, Lord, right now for this grace. It would really be sad that, that we would have been generous all our life and doing good things all our life. But in the end, at the end, we fall off at the end or end up somehow 
selfish, that in the end, towards the end of our life, we somehow end up focused on our little things, our health, our little interests, kind of obsessed with, with our, little, our little problems and our little wounds. And You take the example of uh, Rockefeller, I don't remember his first name, but the, the, the John, John D. Rockefeller. He, uh, at the age of 53, so he's younger than I am now, but uh, he was suddenly struck by a very mysterious uh, illness. He was the richest man in the world, and this illness made all his hair fall off, and he was unable to digest food, and uh, he was just reduced to literally eating soda crackers. That's all he could eat. He couldn't, uh, he had soda crackers, literally, and water, and he became weaker and weaker, and he became more and more depressed, and uh, he got this best team of doctors, the best team that all the money could, the world could buy, and uh, they just couldn't get a medical diagnosis of what was happening to him, right? And uh, they tried medicines, and it, nothing, he was just, just, you know, wasting away, and they were, everybody was perplexed at what was going on. In fact, they said, well, we give you about a year to live, and you're not going to make it much longer, right? And, and, and then one night, as he's lying there in bed, fretting about his situation, he's fretting, he's thinking of his life, he knows he's going to die, he suddenly came to a life-changing insight. He realized that even though he was the wealthiest man in the world, his money could not extend his life, and he could not take it with him. As they say, you know, you can't, you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? So, um, that he had somehow missed the mark. So he rose that morning, exhausted and tired, but he had a new resolution, a new resolve, to start giving away all his money, all his wealth that he had accumulated, to make a positive difference in the world. And he gave away, I don't know, hundreds of millions of dollars away, to found hospitals, universities, uh, medical centers, uh, churches, missions. I mean, he gave tons of money away. And uh, in fact, they say that some of the hospitals, you know, that he founded, they led to cures that, uh, you know, they, that uh, avoid deadly diseases and plagues. And, uh, and uh, he started the Rockefeller Foundation and so forth. And, um, and, uh, you know, I mean, he, he did a lot of good. Well, that illness, it suddenly disappeared as mysteriously as it, uh, as it appeared, just gone. And uh, he lived another 45 years. He had one year, no, no, 45 years. He died at the ripe old age of 98. Because he decided to correspond. I mean, to what degree that, that was really supernatural, I don't know, but... but the cure really was that he stopped focusing on himself, on this insatiable appetite just to want a bit more for himself. Instead, he discovered that, no, I have to give myself. I have to correspond. So let us let's ask for that beautiful grace to correspond to, well, the grace to correspond to grace. To not cordon ourselves off and protect ourselves in a, in a tight bubble of, of comfort or security. And our Blessed Mother who stood at the cross will intercede for us so that we really truly be the self-sacrifice, generous priests that the Church does need. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. 
I ask you all to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.